I'm Matthew McCleary. And I'm Mitchell McCleary. And this is Movies While They Sleep. The podcast from two brothers who watch movies and talk about them after their families have gone to bed. Today we tackle probably the most serious movie we've ever covered before, but it is a uh, recent uh, brand new Oscar nominee for Best Picture, Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. It's a a lot more serious than maybe usual, but I think um, this is a movie worth checking out for the richness of its text and for the way that it really draws out, especially for the two of us as we recorded this, draws out just a a lot of contemplation and thought um, about humanity and evil and all of these things. Let's jump in, Sibiads. I don't know if we're going to do segments tonight because this episode is a little more intense, uh, but I still want to share what I'm sipping on here, which is... um, I'm, I'm still just drinking some Magic Mind because it is delicious, and it's late right now, but I'm not tired because unlike coffee, which only blocks the thing in your brain that says you're tired, Magic Mind actually gives you some energy, some real energy, using matcha and mushrooms and ashwagandha and lion's mane, all this good stuff that your body will thank you for. I know I'm thankful for just being able to stay awake longer with this stuff, and I drink it with coffee, actually. And it's super tasty. And you know what? Matchmind is a rad company. And they're wanting to hook you guys up with a deal, which is a one month free when you're subscribing for three months for their product at magicmind.com forward slash Jan They Sleep. This is for the month of January. So get on it, y'all, because January is almost over. And while you're there, use the code MOVIESWHILE to get, get that deal of an extra 20% off which gets you to a 75% off. Again, this lasts until the end of January. So one more time, get one month free off your subscription of Magic Mind. And you can, I think they send you 15 bottles of Magic Mind from one month at a time. Get one month, 15 bottles free when you subscribe for three months at magicmind.com forward slash Jan They Sleep with the code MOVIESWHILE, all caps, all one word. Get on it, sleepyheads, and maybe don't be a sleepyhead anymore because you got magic mind. Back to the pod. The whole idea of this pod, why it works, and if anyone wants to steal our our structure, our format, go ahead. But all it is is you with your film studies degree coming to the table with some thoughtful analysis about whatever movie we're talking about on that episode. Yeah. Interjected by me with the occasional joke or impression to uh, add levity and... Um, you know, it's a balance that we've uh, found works. <laughs> jokes that I don't laugh at. Jokes that you don't laugh at, but you know what? The audience is. They're, guff- you know, they're the, guffawing the in their car. I got a gift from people. Is they, they say, I love it when your brother makes like a dumb comment or a joke and you just like don't react. Oh, sure. This is the comments you get from your people. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they're saying. But uh, this is the yin and yang that we've established. And Mm -hmm. I mean, what are we going to do today with this episode about (laughs) zone of interest? Should I just be jumping in with some good time, fun time, laughy laughs? Is is the zone of interest the most serious movie we've covered? It's barely a movie. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's barely a movie. I mean, honestly. (laughs) 
Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> it is at times. Um, it feels at, at, at times like like something that would be on a loop on a monitor in a museum. It, it's a and, it's a giant mirror, and on the mirror is written, "You're the devil." <laughs> And then it, at times it, it seems as though it's like some psychedelic, like indie transgressive student film that like Peggy Olson's friend made and they're watching it in their like warehouse apartment. Don with a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good. Get better. <laughs> I think Don Draper would have seen the zone of interest on a weekday afternoon. <laughs> Wouldn't have thought twice about it. That's the thing about Don. He would think twice about it and reconcile with something. Uh, but then he's him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like, yeah. sorry, Bets. Anyway, who is that brunette walking down the street? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, it's my daughter's teacher. That's fine. That's where we're out. That's where we're at in the show. <laughs> She so was good. jogging down the street. He's like, yo. I know I just told Betty, uh, you know, I don't terrible. want to lose this. He's like, but what's good? <laughs> he's a terrible person, but I love that show. Um, yeah, but, you know, <clears throat> you don't you don't really, you're on his side a lot of the time. But, you know, we. Uh, you root for him. We watched, I told you we were watching season five of Fargo in which he plays mm-hmm. this evil sheriff. Right. And it is—it's just so uh, wild to to watch it. And then I watched Confess Fletch, and <laughs> yeah, like, this, so is, this is this is this is him. Like this is the guy. I like so. Anyway, speaking of uh, unrepentant evil, um, the zone of interest, the banality of evil. Colon the we zone watched, of interest. <laughs> we watched the zone of interest, directed by Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan Glazer directed. Has only directed a few films. He hasn't made a movie in what, like ten years? He shows he shows up every ten years and says, "I'm him." Yeah. Um, his last movie is Under the Skin, a movie um, that is certainly <laughs> a vibe. Um, <laughs> it's how you say how the kids are saying a vibe. <laughs> it, it was, I would say, not my kind of vibe. <laughs> Dude, he, uh, he, something's going on with that dude. <laughs> <laughs> but but I would say it is, is under the skin effective nonetheless. Like it made me feel the things that I'm sure he wanted me to feel, mostly discomforts. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't fault the filmmaking. <laughs> I don't know. I, I read somewhere that the national, the band, their whole vibe is like, oh, I'm no good at parties. You know, everyone's boring, and I'm just the guy in the corner that's interesting. But uh, okay. you know, that okay. doesn't really play like that, well. Like that meme, like that meme, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, like that's that's Glazer when he shows up to a, a meet and greet. <laughs> it's, it's actually really dark. <laughs> well, that's not as bad as Rudolf Haas showing up to some meet and greet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> with the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what I was referring to is his uh, being at a party and only being able to think about how to kill people. Dude, you know what's sick? Uh, Abel loves these Richard Scary books. Do you know who Richard Scary is? Um, I, Mitchell, 
I don't do know. Do I know Richard Scarry? <laughs> I I'm don't know. Big Richard Scarry fan over here. Your dad, sure. Um, but no, no, I liked him as a kid, though. I don't remember having his books. What books were you reading? We're in the same house. We had a we had a bunch of Busy Town books. Well, and there was a really great Richard Scarry animated show mm. that I watched a lot of as a kid. I need to I need to find that for Abel because he loves it. But for those who don't know, Richard Scarry books are, you know, they're like his own little animal worlds that also have like vehicles and he also likes labeling nouns. Yep. So he'll just like draw a picture of a house and name everything in the house. And it's like kids love it. And they're kind of fun to read. But uh, we have one where it's like the cat, Mr. Cat takes his kids to the airport. And it starts with like the cat family going to the air, going to sail on on the lake that day, but it's raining. It, oh, I have this book. We had this book for Enoch. Yeah, it's raining. Oh no! Yeah. But luckily yeah. for them, Rudolph Rudolph Van Flugel shows up, and it's a fox <laughs> wearing a World War One helmet. What? <laughs> like a German helmet? <laughs> Although I I I thought it was a German helmet. Sarah said it's a Prussian helmet. Mm, that's probably. Or Richard Scarry's vibe. <laughs> but it's a Rudolf von Flugel fox in a World War One helmet showing up to steal this cat this cat's kids away to take him to the airport. And then they ride around in a in a bratwurst balloon. Uh yes. Yes. <laughs> I've read that book fifty times. Oh, it's a classic. But yeah. <laughs> anytime Rudolph got brought up during Zone of Interest, I'm like, ah <laughs> Von well, Flugel. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, okay. but uh, let's set it up. What's this movie about? Yeah, we're going to move into more serious uh, speaking of, of this film. So, so Zone of Interest, directed by Jonathan Glazer. It is, um, it was interesting. So, so it's a, it's, it is a German language film, um, and it is about the Haas family. This is, Rudolf Haas was a real, uh, a real person, um, truly one of the uh, great evil people of history. Um, he was kind of the mastermind of Auschwitz and excelled at um, mass genocide. That was uh, what he was commended for. It is about him and his family as they live in their private residence uh, and their property shares a wall with the concentration camp of Auschwitz. To be clear, they are outside of the camp. Yes, yes, they are right outside, and literally the wall of their garden is um, topped with barbed wire. And the movie kind of takes place in the middle of the war, at the height of, you know, kind of the the usage of these camps and their kind of idyllic life. And he's got a short commute. Yes, yes, but he does ride a horse in. It is about 10 feet, and he, he does take the horse to work, which was an interesting choice. Um, and it was interesting to me because obviously I knew about the plot going into the film, but I was I was kind of struck by how how much of the movie you might watch without like if you didn't know what it was about, mm-hmm. like if somebody said here's a movie called The Zone of Interest, let's put it on. I, I like at what point? I mean, it could it could be like fifteen to twenty minutes in. I'm I'm not a big. Uh... Like some people are very anti-trailer because you know it reveals yeah. too much. You know I don't really care usually. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'll watch a trailer, but this is one of the movies where I'm like, man, I really wish I had no context walking in. Yeah, 
Because yeah. when, oh, yeah. when you first get the signs of the situation and, and who these people are, the, I, I'd imagine the gut punch being just that much more intense if you if you yeah. hadn't because I mean that, that that's basically the the one line intro to the movie is a family living outside of Auschwitz yeah and it's just their day to day yes that's that's like the elevator pitch right and and I just remember yeah, I was just sitting there thinking like is the movie be, because the way he does it it there's no like I've got to go kill some more people today honey mm-hmm. um, right it, it is so. <laughs> <laughs> it is so like delicately written and probably more true to life written. Right? It's almost never mentioned. It, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's certainly a purposeful choice, right? You know, it, it's you know, it's is part of the design of the movie that you just already know what it is. I I don't know. I it's not a complaint by any means. Um, it's just a curious filmmaking choice, right? Um, one of the things that is striking about this film is that the camera never moves across that wall mm-hmm. you, you never see anything that happens inside of the camp there is what feels like an incredible amount of restraint yes yes uh very much so and and, and so, so just like kind of thinking about all of these things the great amount of restraint restraint in the filmmaking and the screenplay and um and just like kind of is I don't know. It's it's really um, well. This is what I'm saying where it almost doesn't even feel like a movie, where it almost feels like uh, mm-hmm. just live feed of a family, just mm-hmm. you know doing their thing. Because really, there's not because, much plot that's <clears throat> happening here. When the movie opens, the family's out on a picnic by the river, right? Mm-hmm. And they're picnicking and they're swimming, and then they get in their cars and they drive home, and then they're in their house and they turn the lights off and they go to bed. I, I mean, they're six or seven minutes where you don't even see the camp right and this i mean you barely see the camp the entire movie you see the walls yeah yeah. 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 you see the smokestacks and what is so effective to me is that jonathan glazer is it's it's kind of this the paradox of the movie is that there's so much restraint but he also understands how ubiquitous Mm -hmm. these sounds are Mm -hmm especially and our association with them there is a scene early-ish in the movie where you begin to hear the sound of a train approaching Mm -hmm. and the feeling i had of oh oh it's oh it's thousands more jews the sound design is is impeccable and terrifying yeah And, and how and how effectively the mere sound of a train which is a, a sound I hear every single day, mm-hmm. all the time. Our, our, my, my office is 200 feet from a train track, right? Mm-hmm. It's a sound, it's, so, it's such a common sound, but when it's contextualized into this setting, it's horrifying. It sounds like hell. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, you see the steam engine above the wall. You, there, I mean, there's, there's so many little moments of like yeah uh, the the smokestack from a locomotive rolling in or rolling out is uh you know dotting the sky over the family's like pool day or yeah if it's not the train it's the crematorium's smokestack yeah. just billowing in the distance yeah. constant constant and you know I, I, the, you know the presence there and then the presence with the sound design 
of it reminded me of a little bit of um, some of the stuff in Nope, where it's like he, he's just like mixing in screams and mm. gunshots and all these random noises aside from like the churning of the like t- together it's yes, just yes, there's the, this there's literally for for so much of the movie it was one of the most striking things early on to me that i heard just this mechanical thrum yeah it's of the, the concentration the, the camp. camp is churning and whether that is a combination yes. of train manual labor gunshots dogs barking whatever it is it's it mixes into just again it sounds like the bowels of hell constantly and and i will say too even in the sound design i think there's tremendous restraint sure because yes early on you will hear you know the popping of gunshots but but it's it's not even that loud yeah and and it's not um you know you hear that and then you automatically hear a bunch of people like ah you know yeah yeah and and none of the characters react to the sound no None of the characters react to anything, except for the mom. I heard somebody recounting an interview with Jonathan Glazer and his direction to Sandra Huller, who plays the wife, Hedwig. Mm -hmm. And his direction to her was, you need to be constantly doing something. Mm -hmm. You need to be constantly moving from one activity to the next. Mm -hmm. Because you can never have a moment to sit and reflect on what is happening. Mm. And I just thought, what, what, what brilliant direction, mm-hmm. like from a director to an actor, but what, what a strong sense of the story he's telling. I think that's such a great insight into right. how he views these characters. And probably a good insight into some of the bigger ideas mm-hmm. of the movie. Of, like of human, the nature of human evil. Yeah. And how we can... I mean, so much of the or so much of the movie is, I mean, it's so similar to Killers for me. I mean, this and Killers are my two five star movies of the year, and yeah. um, it's it's striking the similarities in the ideas that they're wanting to talk about. I think both movies are obviously interested in human evil, yeah. but in in ways that it's so easy to map on your own life. Because I think part of the, you know, we talked about this off pod, but we've heard people describe this movie as almost, like you said earlier, like a piece in a museum that's just there for you to ponder and less of a, like, a movie with a clear structure and plot and, you know, character arc that you have empathy for or whatever, but just more something to witness and let it affect you. And um, I think what part of the effect that it has on me, where you're just watching this family, like you said, cook dinner have a pool day, get excited about raises. <laughs> yeah. It, it just allows you so much space and time to think and consider your life and these people's yeah. lives and kind of history in general. I know we were talking about this with uh, Killers where, you know, the joke of like, you know, how are you maybe actively or inactively partnering with evil in your day-to-day? But God, this movie too, I'm like... Dude, I know we're recording this with our phones and our laptops with minerals that were mined by, you know. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, am, I, am I going to take the time to stare down that pitch black hallway and think about, you know. Mm. Like th- that moment, too. It's kind You're of. You're talking the, about the ending. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but it's kind of one of the few parts of the movie where a character maybe is reflecting for a moment about what's going on and what they're doing. And it kind of zooms ahead 
to how history looks back on you. And um, say more about what is your interpretation of that ending? So, so the ending, Haas is basically just received the great news. He, he is, he had, he had left Auschwitz for a period while his family stayed behind mm-hmm. because he got a new assignment because he was so good at what he was doing. Right. Killing people. Right. Then, because he's been just so good at that, they're going to send him back to Auschwitz for this huge, basically, influx of 700,000 Hungarian Jews. Mm-hmm. And nobody else can handle it. And he's going to do it. And he's just been at this party, and he says to his wife on the phone, I don't really know who was at the party. All I could think about was how I could gas these people. Right. Like, so deep, 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 deep is his rot. That right. That's what he thinks about. Right. And then he's, like, going down this staircase in this you know german government building and he starts dry heaving yeah i mean i heard some people describe that he's drunk at that time which Mm. maybe like it seemed like he had a drink of champagne sure so it it felt like more just a manifestation of his evil and that's i yeah that's how i would take it i wouldn't take it as he was drunk yeah i mean his his actual insides like yes coming out and him not being able to handle it to me it was him staring into that darkness that dark hallway was to me the only moment where one of them considered what they were doing and he considered it for a moment and it flashes forward to you know the museum of auschwitz the the modern the you know modern day footage so to speak they filmed it in the museum yeah uh basically like the cleaning crew coming in first thing in the morning cleaning the windows of the displays of the thousands of pairs of shoes and glasses and suitcases. Which is a wild job that I had never considered that someone comes in yeah, and cleans that gosh, up every day. I know. I know. And and now, now how I, I, par, par, partly my question of your interpretation is, what is your interpretation of that, of those images of the modern day Auschwitz? Right? Is it, is it like a flash forward? Is it his in his mind's eye of like oh they're gonna like because i don't think it's that like i don't think he's literally seen that to me it was a moment of consideration of how history will look back on what you've done and what you're doing and then it cuts back to him and his choices that he continues down the staircase into deeper and deeper darkness yeah he just like okay i see i you know i see how this will be seen or like i considered it to me it's like oh i've considered this I just don't even know if he considers it. I, d- I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I mean, I think that's possible. I just didn't read it as that. I read it as like his, his, like his body couldn't handle the evil anymore. And right. He's like rejecting it, and he just pushes that down and keeps going. Right. Like, well, yeah, no, eventually, right but to me it was because he, he, even talking about the direction of just keep doing stuff, it's like he looks and stops for a moment. You know, and maybe he does have more moments like that. You know, he has a cigar at one point, which is like a terrifying cigar as he's watching a smoke stack from the crematorium and you see the end of his cigar light up and the smoke come from that. And it's like this uh, rich, like like it's a luxurious thing to get to enjoy a cigar at the end Mm -hmm. of your day. Mm -hmm. And um, decadent, decadent. Thank you. And gosh, I just I kept, uh, you know, sometimes I have a hard time. um, I don't know, like. When I'm doing dishes and I'm thinking how much soap I'm using and that soap is going into the water system and like washing down the drain and going to the ocean eventually and like poisoning something I'm like, but I got to wash my dishes. I mean, what am I going to do? 
like even like really little things in your day to day that, you know, probably are having very negative effects on the world and probably people. And every time I go to Target, if I buy something from Target, if I buy some socks from Target, I'm like, dude, this is kind of a monstrous decision, probably. And I I don't know that for sure. But man, it's hard not to gaze down that hallway often. (laughs) So so I heard I heard another I heard someone wonder aloud. I'm talking about sweatshops, people. That's what I'm talking about with the clothes at Target. No, I, I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Somebody wonder aloud, is it kind of an allegory for climate change? You know, like living next to this thing. Just, I just kind of think, Jonathan Glazer, so it's certainly deep. I don't know. Part of me just thinks, is it just, because this is such, such evil, hmm. right? It's not about, it's not about your, your, far distant complicity in the sweatshops that are making your socks mm-hmm. it's about the guy who lived next door to auschwitz <laughs> right <laughs> like like <laughs> the, the movie's not that interested in the people that are so far removed in, in fact I... in fact it's, it seems like the, the the most far removed person in this this is what was so interesting to me about the movie because I think the proximity of evil mm-hmm. has this rotting effect on people, right? So, right. so Rudolph is the worst of it. By the end, he's 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 retching in the darkness of a hallway, and he's the one who's going into the camp every day. Right. But his wife is evil too, and she knows that this this her dream home and property has been built on the backs of thousands and thousands of burned people right and she revels in the title that people have given her as the queen of auschwitz right right but at the same time it's what i said earlier is that she's constantly doing and trying to mentally put down or put up a guard but mentally put away the reality of what is happening except there's this moment where she gets really annoyed really frustrated with one of the housemaids and she says I could have my husband scatter your ashes in the river. And it's like this horrifying, it's like Bilbo when he goes for the ring in, mm-hmm. in Rivendell, right? And it's the, the demon face flashes across him. It's, it's like, that's what I'm seeing in that moment, right? Of that's what's there all the time, right under the surface for this woman. And she's doing a really good job keeping it at bay. And she thinks she has it in control. And then she she is just threatened just this little bit. And do you know what that threat, the thing that threatened her was her mom left in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And she has tremendous insecurity about this. Right. And so she lashes out um, in this real moment of evil against this, this, um, this domestic worker. And then there's the mother. Right, so, so the wife lives at Auschwitz. She lives there. She's totally rotted by this stuff. Her son, her oldest son, at one point when it's in the winter and they're playing in this frozen garden, um, I don't know if he's just annoyed as his younger brother. His younger brother says something or whatever. The older brother just picks up the younger brother, throws him into their greenhouse, and locks the door behind him. And and you just think and you and, and I remember thinking like, what was what's that? And I realized, oh, he he's literally just play acting what is happening on the other side of the wall every day right this is the evil that he is being modeled for him that he's right. that he's in proximity to and then there's the mother who comes in it's it's hedwig's mother who's the grandmother comes in from out of town and and she's the daughter showing her mother their their idyllic palace you know at auschwitz and and the mother is so proud of her daughter and the mother is the grandmother 
is not a nice lady. Terribly prejudiced anti-Semite, right? Who's like totally bought into the Nazi ideology. Because as they're touring the garden, she says to her daughter, I wonder if my old neighbor so-and-so, some Jewish name, is over there right now. What evil thing to say. And then she goes on to say, I used to clean her house, which is so telling, right? Mm -hmm. The way that Nazi ideology was a way for maybe a German woman who was only a house cleaner Mm -hmm. and was cleaning the homes of Jews to now feel better about herself and to feel superior to this Jewish person. And, but that woman can't handle being there because at night her room gets lit up by the flame and her room is lit up by the flames of the crematorium. She literally leaves in the middle of the night. Again, another killers of the flower moon comparison. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, just, Total parallel to that scene in an amazing sequence in Killers of the Flower Moon. It's it's it was, the hellfires lighting up their life. Oh my gosh. But it was just so interesting to me that like the 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 grandmother who my first impression of her is like this is a proud evil Nazi woman mm-hmm. and she cannot handle it. And and part of me wonders is it because everyone else in that family succumbs to some sort of of, of, of rot. Right. 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 And and is it just proximity? It's like I mean I think there's literally an there's a there's a motif of proximity here, right? I mean I I don't know I feel like I look at the wife and I say that feels closer like that sense of okay what do I need to do to get my dream house? Yeah, no, I understand. And who do who do I need to you know step on in the meantime and disregard? in the meantime and doesn't that feel a lot closer to my everyday life like even when i think about those little things where it's like okay yeah you know i could i could try extra hard to be responsible about this choice whether it's for the environment or my community or whatever but okay listen i need to get the thing that i want and need and if you're gonna get in the way of that then what are we doing here because she says and see and see this is where i struggle because she says we did everything Hitler told us to do, mm-hmm. so she she's like blaming it. So mm-hmm. she, right, she's passing the the, the right responsibility onto right onto Hitler and this ideal ideology that he has put forth. Mm-hmm. We've done everything we could do, and now we have it. We have the dream house or whatever it is. Right. And so in some ways, I can, I can see an analogy of like the American dream. We've done everything we've right. been told to do. The unconsidered right? life. And and it's this way of um, displacing complicity. I mean, yeah, put anybody into that role. We did what, you know, God told us to do. Yeah. Even. And like the, yeah. the, the choices people have made in the name of God. Yeah. But I, yeah, I don't... I. I just had a hard time not just correlating a lot of, I mean, I mean, it's hard. It's like, you know, obviously there's a lot going on in the world right now that you could say he's drawing comparisons to as well. But I just feel like the unconsidered evils of your day. Yeah, see, I, I know, I know. It's just so, it's like, it's one of those things where I get overwhelmed by the, not that what you're describing is mm-hmm. not real evil. Right, right. But I get overwhelmed by the weight of other i i told you i'm i'm watching 20 days at mariupol mm-hmm. the documentary about the start of the russian invasion of ukraine yeah and like it's i mean it's a fascinating documentary because it's about these ukrainian journalists who go in and they just film everything and their their goal is 
we're going to film everything and we're going to send it out to the world. Right. And then basically what you, and he would show you a day at a time. It would say day one and then you'd see all their footage from day one and he's narrating it. And then at the end of the day, he would show you the clips from CNN and MSNBC and BBC News mm-hmm. in which the newscasts used his footage. So, right. So, so, so actually, you're seeing how, how they use is, it versus yeah, what actually yeah. is happening. Yeah. So, and, and, and for the most part, like, right, like BBC, CNBC, right there, you know, CNN, they're, they're aiming to faithfully represent what's happening in this, this town city that's been under siege. Yeah. There's no communication. And, and like the big significant footage early in this war was of children being killed mm-hmm. by bombings in this town in the city and he 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 was in the hospital as as 18 month olds were coming in dead and he was on the ground when a maternity ward at a hospital was shelled Mm -hmm. and pregnant women were being gurneyed out of it and 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 like you're like that is a little more potent (laughs) like that that happened two years ago yeah Right. And as I was watching the movie, right, the war started the week that our daughter was born and there were baby girls born right. that week in that city. And I just like it's 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 like Zone of Interest, 20 Days at Mariupol and, and like Killers of the Flower Moon. They, they're these and, and now two of them are obviously it's not works of fiction, but they're, they're films. Mm-hmm. Right? They're sure. People play acting. Right. And one of them is real. But. But all three of these things are, are, are saying like, just, just look at this, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. just, right. just look at it. And I, and I do think, as you, you know, peel back the layers, I, I, the documentary is not doing this. The other two, they're asking about our own complicit, complicity in these things. Right. But I think also they're just saying, look at this. Right. Right. I yeah. mean, I mean, that, that's I mean, it's literally like the museum piece. Yeah. Where it's yes. like, oh, yeah. now this thing that is boxed up. You know, and like well lit. We, we went to Crocker Art Museum uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And t- took Enoch for the first time, and he really likes art. He really likes to draw, and and we were sure how it goes. He really loved it. Mm-hmm. Didn't care for the contemporary art, right? <laughs> so we're walking through one of the hallways, and there's this six seven foot sculpture sculpture that's basically a giant version of a two inch red plastic Indian figurine, mm-hmm. and it's red. You know, it would have been, you know, like a toy soldier, but just all red mm-hmm. and an Indian drawing a bow, a Native American drawing a bow. But it's seven feet tall mm-hmm. and it's bright red. And he, Enoch looks at me and he says, Dad, don't you think this is a little racist? <laughs> and I said, why? He's like, oh, I, don't know. I don't know. It's like a giant Indian and it's red. And I said, well, let's read about it. And so I read the statement mm-hmm. you know, from the artist or whatever. And like it would, you know, it's, it's a Native American artist who takes these, the takes toys and the way that native americans have been portrayed and then right blows them does up. this time yeah yeah and, and and enoch's like what does that mean and i said i think the i think it means you got the point of the of this right I think you were supposed to feel racism right like, like blown like up you were supposed to, uh, 10 times yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah when you looked at this it was supposed to create in you a some reaction mm-hmm. and and you were honest about that reaction. And, and I think that's what it was evoking. That's what it was aiming to evoke yeah. was feelings of discomfort about this thing. I mean, and I, I said all of this to him and he totally got what I was saying. But it was amazing that like this nine-year-old got that, right? Right. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm yes, yeah, so the museum thing of like just stare it down. Like, yeah. 
and can we handle that and can we can we understand because I, I, I think this is what I'm trying to draw out I think there is a difference between the kind of perilous evil that we are con- that we just kind of swim and live in mm-hmm. of like sure. climate change and over overconsumption and the way that these things have a million consequences across right, the world right. and global communities right there's that and then there is like the human capacity for real intentional evil bombing a a hospital bombing the maternity ward and the genocide of the osage indians and the genocide of jewish people right like and it's you know all these things are they're they're different right i they're not the same thing and i watched killers of the flower moon this week so it's been on my mind damn (laughs) you said lay it on just pour it over me well you know it's interesting to watch killers again it's one of interest I don't think I would ever see again. Really? I don't know. I don't know what occasion or what mood I would have to be in. Right. To be like, let's go. Yeah. Probably because it's not entertaining. No. Right? Like It does, it has a feeling of, like you said, with that, that statue or sculpture. It yeah, feels yeah, yeah. like it's a sculpture that you're walking around yes. again and yeah. again. Because when I try to like think and recall scenes, it feels yeah. like all the scenes are like layered on top of each other. And like overlaid, and I can't like hold on to any one of them except for you know the obvious ones that we've talked about that are exception from the rule of the movie. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. That's how it is. It's how it's constructed in a lot of ways. Yeah, but it's interesting. Like if you, I watched Schindler's List a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and like you know what, there's stuff in there that's like impossible to watch. Right. And then like a lot of it is still like an like a Spielberg a, movie, like a, a Spielberg movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. like it's just like Spielberg cooking, right? Like yeah. he knows how to tell a narrative in an entertaining way. You're like, huh. And, and that's how I feel about Killers, The Flower Moon. Yeah. Is like, at the end of the day, it's still a Scorsese movie. And it's not entertaining. Entertaining is not the right word. Right. But there's... But it's there's doing fluidity, something. There's there's movement to it, right? Like, it's, it's for as unique and as interesting as even, like, the structure of Killers is, it's still, like... It's weirdly like, enjoyable. Yeah, and I also, like, recognize, like, oh, this is this is how a story moves, right? Like, yeah. I, I recognize that we're, we're... Zone of Interest is so disorienting, and we actually haven't even talked about the most disorienting part of the movie. Which is? These these sequences occasionally throughout where the the... the it's... The film is actually like you see it. It's like the film negative of the girl, of this girl. Yeah, and and the and the soundtrack gets menacing. Yeah, or or there's a certain point where it just cuts to red for like yeah, yeah, yeah. yes thirty seconds. Yes, it, <laughs> I was yeah. like, holy so crap, just, red is intense. It's it just it like made me consider it made me consider red. Yeah, like and then it cuts to this girl in like in like photo negative. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost looks like a heat map sort of thing yeah 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 and what she's doing it seems is like in the middle of the night she's planting apples on the work sites of the jewish prisoners right trying to get get some food like act of redemptive goodness yeah and like this is the sick mind of jonathan glazer is that we see the garden of the haas family and all of its beautiful full color glory Mm -hmm. and the good deeds of the Polish neighbor are only ever seen in the most like menacing looking photo negative you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. 
And I wonder too if it's like because it's well, it's obviously in stark contrast with the, right. the family, but it's it's almost like this is the rotten thing in the worldview of this family mm-hmm. is the acts of good. Like that's the rotten thing. Right. There's no explanation to it. Yeah. It's just there. And and like don't be tempted to think it's going anywhere. Right. Like like there's a part where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm worried this girl's gonna get caught. Like, or there's gonna be some sort of narrative with her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Nope, 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 nothing. And it's okay. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> She's stealing fruit and apple outside of this garden, this paradise. Yeah. And bringing yes. it to the hell that's outside of it for good. It's like there's this parable that Jesus tells. <laughs> the garden stuff is crazy. Oh, man, the garden stuff is crazy. And, and using compost from the, the ashes. The ashes of people. I know. I was just thinking of that. There's this parable that Jesus tells of a rich man and this poor beggar that sat outside of his manor or whatever, and they die, and the rich man is in hell, suffering, and he sees the poor beggar is is in heaven, basically, and he sees Abraham. Abraham's this like cosmic figure, and he cries out to Abraham, can you send Lazarus, the, the poor man, can you send him to me, that he could dip his fingers in some water and press them to my mouth? And you know my my, and and relieve my my parched mouth, right? Such as his suffering in, in hell, and Abraham says, "No, we cannot cross this divide." And then he says, "Well, send him back to to Earth to my family to warn them." And he says, "No, we can't do that. They've been warned." And I just said, like that's the image that was on my mind as this girl's just bringing these little apples, All right? Like so vast is not not that the not that they're not they they are damned to hell. Right, right. The, the, the but Jews, the hell they're, but they're experiencing. In, they're in yeah. a hell. They are experiencing this hell. Yeah. And there is no relief. And the and, and the best we can come up with is this girl who's like hiding apples in the dirt. In the mud. Like slopping yeah. them around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the sound design even there is just terrible. I don't know. Just really harrowing. Yeah, I think I gave and it. you never see anything in it. I think I gave it five stars because there's just so few experiences like it as far as yeah. going to the movies. That's, I don't know, it's pretty undeniable in how effective it is. And I don't even know what it's effective at doing, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I that's how I kind of felt. I gave it five stars just because, like, what is this thing? It's just so unique. It's so effective. I saw someone compare him to Kubrick, Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, he does have a similar energy. Or sometimes when I'm watching a Kubrick movie, I'm like, I think specifically 2001. This guy is kind of just I thought about 2001. Yeah. I mean, something about the end scene of him looking into the blackness, and then the, like, jump forward, and then also, like, the jump forward opens with, like, a window, like a small peephole window, and then a door opens. You know, and oh, we're in yeah. the future. Yeah. Like for some reason, it was giving Kubrick, but uh, well, it reminded me the color, the red thing reminded. Yeah, the me red of the, too. The, the the colors at the end of two thousand one. Yeah, yeah. Why is this and movie Friends of two thousand one? It's weird. I also thought about A Clockwork Orange a lot. Just the way that that movie is like mm-hmm. distantly showing yeah. violent acts. Yeah, the way it shows and or is shot and in a very in a very kind of like passive way, and that's a movie I don't like. Same. Um, but, you know, again, like, I, it's one of those where it's like, I don't like it, but I don't like it probably for the reasons the filmmaker... Right, right. It's it not five stars because it's enjoyable. Yeah, well, I, I don't think it's five stars, but... <laughs> what? Um, 
Clockwork Orange. Oh no, I was talking about. I was talking about. No, no, yeah, yeah, Zone of Interest. Yeah, 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 it's different. Yeah, it feels weird to segue into our um, our our segments here, but um, I don't know. Do you have any closing closing thoughts? Well, we just did our letterbox reviews. I had uh, one last thought. It was the sequence in modern day Auschwitz Mm -hmm. and the. You know, a lot of the movie is just like kind of slice of life stuff on the property and just people kind of like joking around and preparing meals and Mm -hmm. goofing around in the pool. And there's like a levity to the family life that is so insane considering the backdrop and the noises you're hearing the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that really stood to me in really stark contrast with the solemnness with which the cleaning crew right. did their work in the morning and like you said that's never a job that i would have ever considered existing right but then as soon as i thought about this job existing i thought well i wouldn't be joking around with my co-workers very much right right like and like have a bluetooth speaker that? playing music yeah yeah <laughs> literally that and i just like i just thought how does one do that job every day yeah I, yeah i don't know hard to sum up yeah give me it, just remarkable thing you know, when we talk, sometimes I talk about movies and their ability to draw thought yeah. and reflection out of me. And this uh, certainly did that effectively. You have any unsung heroes? Oh, boy. <laughs> no, I'm just, I mean, I'm going with the soundtrack. Good Lord. Yeah. yeah. Some yeah. of the, I mean, he really does just present a version of hell that seems 100% accurate. <laughs> Like he's been, yeah. he went there with a recorder, yeah. grabbed some yeah. sounds, and came back. I mean, they filmed the whole thing there. I know. It's, it's just crazy. It's insane. And then the whole time you're, you're like, this movie's insane. You're like, this movie happened. I know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, you know, people, I, I feel like I've heard people say, like, all right, can we cool it with the World War II movies? And I'm like, I get that because there's so many, mm. but it, it is, there's just nothing like it. It is. I, I, I just happened to, I have a podcast that I recently started listening to a couple of months ago called The Rest is History, mm-hmm. and it's these two British historians. Yeah. And they're, they're both, like, excellent expert historians. Mm-hmm. And they both have, like, overlapping but very distinct um expertise and interest Mm -hmm. and so they take turns and it's like okay this is my area of expertise so i'm going to kind of narrate the episode and you just ask me questions that a historian would ask yeah and they very great banter they did like an eight-part series on the nazis in power so basically from when the nazis took over like yeah politically to to the beginning of the war and it was just like to hear them talk about it, mm-hmm. right? It's it, it's just like this thing happened, and and it's hard to understate the weight of what happened during those few yeah. years for for like all of humanity, right? And 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 the fact that we're still trying to process it, right? Right, like that's that's how it, I that's how I think about it. It's like we're still trying to process this thing. That's crazy. Yeah, because yeah, you you'd almost think like, all right. Another movie about this going into it, very unique uh, mm-hmm. elevator pitch, but gosh, it feel it feels very very different from anything I've seen before, given yeah. the, like with the same subject subject matter. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know. Unstuck here, we gave it five stars. I, man, I don't feel cool about asking a favorite shot. Nope. <laughs> I'm just going with the color red. When that hit, I'm like, God, yeah. dude. Yeah. Um, 
And then, I don't know, what else, let's pick it up a little. What else have you been watching lately? Any, well, anything? Um, Killers of the Flower Moon again and 20 Days at Mary Pole. There you go. <laughs> no, no, I got one. I think this is the first time I've rewatched this movie um, since I first watched it probably in college. Uh, I rewatched The Godfather Part 3, mm. but I watched the recent recut of it, The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. And it's not it's not hugely different than the original, but I think watching it at the age that I am now, I had just a greater appreciation for it, mm. and it's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Not seen it, but I believe it's, you. It's, yeah, it's it's. I mean, the first two to me are like this perfect, complete story. Yeah, and the third one always felt like extra. Mm-hmm. So even reframing it, even just a new title helps me mentally like go into it and say, this is, this isn't this, this is something else. And yeah, I don't know. I, 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 was, I just really enjoyed it. So I was kind of surprised. Nice. Yeah. What about you? Um, the only thing is I watched a serious man for the first time. Oh my gosh. Coen brothers flick, which again, if you uh, want some bummer movie, <laughs> no, not, it's not that much of a bummer. Although it is. Things just don't work out for this guy. But uh, high-tier Cohen and kind of underrated. I feel like people don't really ever talk no, about it. Dude, they have super so many freaking movies. It's insane. They got a lot of movies. I love a serious man. It's relentless how many they have and how many I haven't seen, too. Anyway, uh, so that was it's good. A, it's, a, it's a five-star Cohen Brothers movie for me. Yeah, I need to rewatch before it gets five to four and a half. So, yeah. That's what we got, and I think after this, we're, we're just going to go full-on top 10 of the year. I think we're both ready to pull that trigger. In the meantime. <laughs> Can I just tell you something? What? Oh, no. I've been playing with this thing. <laughs> what is this that? This little piece of metal. Uh-huh. And I've been uh, clicking it on my MacBook. <laughs> nice. So, listeners, if there's an incessant clicking sound on this episode while we discuss the horrors of Zone of Interest, that is what it was. (laughs) So you have that to look forward to this whole episode. In the meantime, catch us on Instagram at Movies While I Sleep and rate and review the pod. Send it to a movie lover in your life. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Good night, y'all. Bye.